0: Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show.
1: People tend to panic late. There is an old parable. And it's a a little bit of a logic problem. And it says, would you rather mistake a bear for a rock or a rock for a bear? Now, the correct answer is you'd rather mistake the rock for the bear, because then you just look silly at the end. What's happened at present is people have seen a bear and mistaken it for a rock. And all of a sudden the bears run up to them and they've gone, oh Jesus, what the hell? And so the time to panic has passed, but people are still panicking now. And they were panicking last week. Because what generally tends to happen is we operate in that mechanism of denial whereby people think, well, if I pretend it's not happening, it's not happening. And so they did that for the first initial phase and now they've woken up to the realisation that it is actually happening and the market has created itself.
2: it's caroline stephen financial journalist and share trader in the middle of a shutdown we bring this episode of talking trading number 293 from a healthy social distance as we come out of easter for 2020 COVID 19 is proving to be the pandemic of a generation and who better to discuss this the market veteran chris tate today chris talks about pandemic trading and what that means and how to protect yourself in this environment. And we ask CT your most burning trading questions during this time of COVID-19. First, here's a review I'd like to read out because it's pertinent to today's episode. It is from PJC073. Talking Trading is a consistently great program. Thanks, PJC. It has a knack of providing the right information at just the right time that's what we aim to do. I must say that Chris Tate's observations of the crazy coronavirus affected markets in the March 10 episode was one of my favourite podcasts of all time. It was Vintage CT. We should remember to listen to this next time there's an irrational market meltdown, even if it's in 10 or 20 years, if podcasts are even still around then. The principles will always hold true. Thanks PJC. Well, today is another Vintage CT episode, as CT explains why these trading principles will always hold true. But first, maybe pour yourself a quarantini and listen to our unsung hero of the week, the very lovely Julia Osorio.
0: Today's unsung hero is Julia Osorio. Julia is a driving instructor and she's completed our mentor program and our graduate training and it's been so exciting to see how Julia's mechanical attitude and the way that she teaches people to drive has translated into her writing her trading plan and executing her trading plan in the same way every single time. Julia literally jumped off into an area that she didn't feel comfortable with to begin with. The trading arena can seem so foreign and so different when we start out. But now just two short years later, only two years, Julia is trading like a pro and good for her. Chris Tate and I are so excited about your trading future, Julia. Keep on going with that mechanical automated way of seeing the world because good traders repeat the same routines time and time again.
2: Hi, this is US Memory Champion Chester Santos international man of memory. I listened to Caroline at Talking Trading. CT, with the markets going crazy from Corona, we decided to ask Trading Game Mentories their most burning questions for you and to also hear what you think about pandemic trading. CT, hello and welcome.
1: Hello. It's, <laughs> it's fire away.
2: CT, what is the definition of pandemic trading?
1: Okay it's one of one of the things we need to do is to markets often separate themselves neatly into two parts mania or panic and at present we've ended the mania phase and we've now entered the panic phase and as everybody knows the panic phase has been generated by the appearance of covid-19 which is one of the true pandemics we've had in the past what generation or so so what happens in a panic phase In a panic phase you can it can literally be summed up really quite simple and it is that people wet themselves (laughs) the tulips are ending (laughs) basically yes we tend to humans tend to be quite binary in their emotional responses and these emotional responses are not graduated mania is not a graduated response mania is a fear of missing out Panic is a fear of being caught. So in many ways, it is a deeply ingrained psychological and physiological response. We, we have a variation of the fight or flight mechanism. And at present, people are undergoing that sort of emotional maelstrom of flight in that everybody wets themselves and everybody runs for the same door at once.
2: So what's that door they're running towards?
1: That's a very, very good question. What they're attempting to do and they've done very very poorly is they've attempted in some way shape or form to minimize the damage that's being done to themselves and quite naturally their portfolio in that but i say they've done it quite poorly because people tend to panic late there is an old parable and it's a, it's a little bit of a logic problem and it says would you rather mistake a bear for a rock or a rock for a bear Now, the correct answer is you'd rather mistake the rock for the bear, because then you just look silly at the end. What's happened at present is people have seen a bear and mistaken it for a rock, and all of a sudden the bear's run up to them, and they've gone, oh, Jesus, what the hell? And so the time to panic has passed, but people are still panicking now, and they were panicking last week. Because what generally tends to happen is we operate in that mechanism of denial, whereby people think, well... If I pretend it's not happening, it's not happening. And so they did that for the first initial phase and now they've woken up to the realisation that it is actually happening and the market has created itself.
2: On that note, what are you doing with your trading at the moment? What opportunities are you looking at and how are you protecting yourself?
1: See, I, I operate on a very mechanistic approach. All my weekly equities were popped out in the first week simply because they had stops and that's what they're supposed to do. One of the mistakes I see people making at present is they're attempting to analyse postictively what they should have done and it's almost like they're going to put a rule in their trading plan that says, in the event of a global pandemic, do this. No, the rule should be a generalised, simple rule that is robust that simply says, when markets collapse, obey stops. Now, in terms of what i'm doing i'm quite fortunate in that my portfolio was aiming in the right direction for commodities which took off particularly the energy complex so as they collapsed i was short so equities get pinged out short the energy complex and that's just continued to go and so there's no equity positions and i won't be taking any for the conceivable future but there are other markets and this is where people get caught in that they can't see beyond the fact that the things they're familiar with are called bhp rio anz AB, cba whatever they don't actually understand there's an entire universe of instruments out there that are uncorrelated to what's occurring in equities and they think that because they have different names there is something special about the way you trade them No, it's not. If they trend up, you buy them. If they trend down, you sell them and you don't bet the farm. It's it's fairly simple stuff.
2: It's not rocket science. So we go to some questions that mentorees have written in to ask you about this particular time in the markets. The first one is from Mr. David Dunlop.
1: Well done, David.
2: Number one question is, CT, what is the VIX? How does it work?
1: Okay. The VIX is a volatility index and it's a volatility index over the S&P 500. In effect, what it is, it is, it is the implied volatility of a co- collection of options on the S&P 500. When you look at the options pricing equation, the options pricing equation has a series of inputs. Price of the underlying, time to expiry, historical volatility, risk-free rate, and dividends. It's quite possible to actually solve the options pricing model you use For simply volatility, this is implied volatility. This is the market's perception of future volatility. In effect, it's a guess, which people forget about. The VIX itself is often called the fear index or the fear gauge, so that when volatility expands and explodes, the perception is that volatility is a function of fear. When the VIX is quite low, that's a perception of complacency that markets are more relaxed. What we've seen in this latest little schmozzle is that the VIX has actually exploded, as you would expect. But in many ways, it explodes because what happens is when people write, let's put it this way, if you're an options writer, your concerns are twofold. One, that the price of the underlying will go up and move against you. Two, that volatility will go up. And so options writers lift their perceptions of implied volatility to compensate for that. So if I'm an options market maker and I'm forced to write options to make a market in them, which is what market makers do, I will make my options more expensive. And I make them more expensive by pumping the notion of volatility. This acts as a protective mechanism for me. So you get in many ways this little bit of a feedback loop going on. But if we bring it back to the basis of what the VIX is, the VIX is simply a guess, and that's all it is. And as such, it's actually profoundly overrated, well, in my opinion, as a mechanism and as a tool, because all you're looking at is perceptions that a group have. No one is to say that their perceptions are correct or incorrect.
2: That was a very good question, David. Let's go to the next question David asked. And this may be going back over what you've said, and some of these questions may be slightly repetitive, so we just bear that in mind. What have been some of your most profitable trades?
1: Crude. It's being short crude, uh, simply as the energy complex collapsed. And I, look, to be, it's one of those things you have no idea that markets are going to go on the way they are. You just don't. So it's just happenstance that you're pointing in the right direction as markets collapse. Or, or they collapse so severely.
2: Did your approach deviate from how you'd normally approach your weekly, daily, fourth-hourly systems? Nope.
1: No, nothing, nothing ever changes. And again, this comes back to the notion that I mentioned before, that people are making this postdictive error in that they're attempting to correct for an event in the past when actually their system should be sufficiently robust to deal with any eventuality, no matter what name you give it, it could be 9-11, it could be the GFC, it could be COVID-19. The thing that was common to all of them was markets collapse very quickly. So there's no excuse for not having a rule that simply says, when markets collapse, my stops will catch me and I will step out till markets calm down or I understand better what's going on. Did you short the indices? And if you oh, did... And there is there is a reason for that. And it, it's something people misunderstand. Let me start with a broader answer. When you go into a stockbroker's or financial planner's office, you'll see a chart of the all-ordinaries probably dating back 100 years. And it starts bottom left, ends top right. And the broker and financial planner will say to you, look, markets always go up. No, the index always goes up. Why does the index go up? Because the index is a constantly evolving and changing biased tool. Stocks that don't perform are thrown out. Stocks that do perform are put in. So it is an upward biased tool. So that's the why it looks like that. That doesn't mean that your stocks will go up. The extension of this for me is that when you attempt to short indices, you are running into a tool that has an upward bias. And so we come back to that notion of you can't just have a special rule that says, when we have a global pandemic, I will short indices. Because that rule would have to apply to every other signal you got for shorting the index. And for the past 10 years in the US, shorting the index was a fool's game. You would have just been written out out of the game completely because the index has an upward bias. It's long biased only. And we've found that whenever you add the shorting of indices or equities back into a trading system, you collapse the performance of the entire system and intriguingly this is something that academics have actually just found as well in their modeling so for me I don't short them uh, now that raises the question of or the implication that you've missed out on something here not rule really, it really because I look at it from the mechanistic view of the system if the system says you don't do it you don't do it and it's all well and good to look back and say well If I'd shorted the Dow at 1.30 in the afternoon on the day it occurred, I would have made all these points. Well, yes, that's true. But if you'd gone back in time to when we had the $80 million Powerball jackpot and picked all the right numbers there, you would have won $80 million. But you didn't, so shut up about it. it. A lot of people run their trading by looking backwards at what they should have done in the past and that they feel this sense of regret about it
2: so you see three long red candles on the aussie index and you don't think geez damn i should day trade this index right now you don't No,
1: not at all i, I simply don't because i've been in my formative years caught too many times because you'll often see for example three long red candles go short market reverses five or six seven percent against you and so it's from my perspective not worth it, and in all honesty, it doesn't worry me because hindsight is the perfect trading tool, but it's also the most irrelevant of trading tools.
2: Did you trade any instruments beyond your standard basket during this time of COVID 19?
1: Nope, not, not at all. One of the things that people don't understand is that rules are there for a reason, there is no specialness or special situation that prompts you to ignore your rules. And so if you do, the moment you do that, you're actually on the path to ruin. Because all of a sudden you've said to the system, I'm much smarter than the system. No, you're not, nobody's smarter than the system. Everybody's dumber than the system because the role of the system is simply to exclude the trader as much as possible. Because the weakest link in any endeavour is always the people driving it so if i have a basket of instruments that is x then it remains x and always will
2: how large is your basket
1: at present it's a very really good question it's probably about four commodities it's probably about
2: 30 or 31 i think if that it's not that large sue napoli wrote in with some questions for you ct the first one is with the recent mania and selling of stocks do you have a rule that gets you out of trades when the markets look and smell manic? No.
1: Simply because without some form of confirmation via price, all you're working on is your perception, your opinion. And one of the things that traders don't understand is that their engagement with the market is asymmetrical. If we assume that the market, as represented by price is the sum total of all knowledge, expectations and perceptions, then that view is correct at that time. Any view you have that is contrary to that is incorrect, because the market says it is. You you may have the view that I think, I think is a very dangerous statement for traders. You know, it, it's, it, it's a little bit like I, I've seen people uh, at professional conferences get up and go, well, I think share x is only worth four dollars the market says it's worth 22 who's right well it's not you at four dollars it's the market at 22 your opinion is a meaningless thing and your perception of what you think the market might do is meaningless the only time your thinking is confirmed is when it's actually backed up by your system and then it's not you thinking it's the system doing it
2: how would one go about trying to put rules in place for these outlier scenarios, or is this a matter of letting the trading rules you have in place do their thing? My losses were my stop losses were five ATR away, and there's been a lot of give back.
1: That's simply one of those things, unfortunately, because we wouldn't ha- we wouldn't be having this conversation if the market had continued on its merry way and those five ATR stops were taken out naturally, because you have to understand the basis upon which the rule is based. Wide stops as wide trailing stops are designed for the simple fact that in a trend following system, you want to actually get as much of the trend as possible. And you accept that none of them are perfect, that there is always there's always, there's always a trade off. If you want to be in a trend for a very, very long period, then you're going to have to have a wider stop. If you want to be in a trend for a very, very short period, you have a narrower stop. You don't have as much give back. But then on the flip side, you don't have that potential for the extraordinary outsized gains that particularly equities can generate. So
2: everything everything is a compromise. For the rule about not understanding the market, would it then be an exit all trades? Which Sue was tempted to do last week.
1: Look, it can be, it, it can simply be a step out and leave rule. If you, uh, it, it's probably best to reframe it in that if you have a situation where you don't have confidence in the system, you don't have confidence in your interaction with the system, and you're becoming overly anxious about it, then what's liable to happen is you're liable to do something profoundly stupid like ignore the stops or buy more and you you, you are best off you you are best off simply going i don't understand this is causing me issues the market will be there when i get back i will exit for the time being because one of the things about trading is that people have this compulsion to trade to be to be involved they don't understand that you pick the time and place for the engagement the market doesn't pick it you pick it So you decide when to enter, you decide when to exit. And so if exiting removes all the pressure off you, then that's the thing to do. The only problem you then have is that you might be the sort of nervous Nelly that exits at the merest hint of something going wrong. And that becomes a problem. And that's a problem I've seen in the past. And the problem that that generates is that every system, when it begins again, Starts with a drawdown. So if you're constantly stopping and starting your system, all you're constantly doing is running into drawdowns and trying to overcome those. And so you're caught in this endless cycle of just beating yourself up.
2: How do you incorporate a rule that differentiates your personal emotions versus market emotions? Last one from Sue.
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's almost impossible because it's not a rule-based thing. It, it's an internal dynamic it is the fact that you have sufficient control over yourself to let your system do its thing so it's not rules based it's internally based it is one of those irritating little uh, functions that you need to adopt as a trader where you step out of the picture again it's that notion of observer or participant traders are observers they're not participants the moment you become a participant within the move you're emotionally invested as an observer you stand back from your grandiose point on high and just let it all wash over you so you can't actually generate a rule it's a personal development issue which means it is the hardest of all issues
2: that's all for today's episode. I'd like to thank David Dunlop and Sue Napoli for their absolutely fantastic questions for CT during this episode and the courage to put them forward. Stay tuned next week because we have more burning trading questions for CT from you on these COVID-19 markets. I'm Caroline Stephen. Stay well and stay safe. As always, if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. This is super important because word of mouth is the most powerful way that people can get in touch with us. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcast and make sure you give us a big, fat five-star review because it helps people find us. You'll also notice that Talking Trading doesn't use sponsors and barely advertises. This is because Chris Tate and Louise Bedford fund this show from tradinggame.com.au. If you'd like to get Louise's five-part free e-course, register at tradinggame.com.au. So until next week, happy trading. The views represented on talking Trading are generally nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regards to your own situation.